Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Uh, I'm going to have a little, uh, there's a lot of NFL stuff to deal with, but before we go there, let's go to uh, the voice of the Denver Nuggets. He's Jason Kosminski. He has uh, been the voice of the Nuggets uh, full-time since 2010. Before that, he did some road games. But you also have the title, Jason, of uh, executive producer. So if you do something bad on the air, do you scold yourself? Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> Just don't drop any F-bombs. <laughs> um, you know, that title came about because I, I also, you know you know how life goes. Your, your jobs change. But um, back in the day, I used to oversee all the Colorado Avalanche radio broadcasts as, as well as the Colorado Rapids. So I just was kind of the go-to for radio when it came to Crocky Sports Enterprises. Well, it's uh, it looks good in your resume anyway. Yeah. Uh, you uh, you got a new superstar now in Nuggets camp, Bull Bull. Now, if the last name Bull strikes a familiar tone, his dad was Minute Bull, who when he played, and I remember when he was with uh, Philly, I think, and he was hoisting up threes, and I go, wait a minute, the guy's like seven foot five, and he's shooting threes? But yeah. the, the apple didn't no. fall far from the tree because Bull Bull attempted eight threes last night and made two. Yeah, and like, um, you know, when he was in college, he, he was another, the, the Nuggets have, have been really getting good at, at finding these little gems in, in the NBA draft. And, you know, with, with Bull Bull, through nine games when he played at Oregon, he was the leading three-point percentage shooter through nine games uh, in, in the NCAA. And he got hurt. And, and the problem was he, he's a big man, or a tall man, I should say, and he had a foot injury. And that automatically scares everybody. Um, so, you know, last year the Nuggets didn't have a pick in the draft. And he just kept falling and falling and falling. Next thing you know, it's the second round. And they found a way to maneuver to, to get a pick for a future whatever. And they, they picked up Bull Bull, just kind of kept him on the bench all year to get him healthy. And he's going to be ready to go this year. Really interesting player, man. He's just so tall and so skinny. Yet he likes to play outside more than he likes to play inside. Well, in the in the day of the three-point shot in the NBA, everybody's shooting threes. We know that. So tell me about your new point guard, Nikolai Djokic. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, – I was wondering how they were going to do that because they, they only had eight guys available because not everybody was there yet. And they, they don't have any guards. They don't even have any off guards. So check out the starting lineup they had yesterday. They start Jokic at the point guard at seven foot. Bull Bull was the small forward at seven foot two. Jeremy Grant was the power forward at six foot nine. Millsap was another forward at C. He was the off guard actually at six foot nine. And Mason Plumley was the starting center at seven foot. So they started three seven footers in in a scrimmage game. Man, that was a 
other combination I didn't think I'd ever see. Well, I know uh, Mike Malone's dad um, was uh, – Brendan was a guy I'd been around a lot when he was coaching with Chuck Daly in Detroit, and then after that, uh, aside from the guy that I used to love to go sit down and talk to because he had so many great stories and was a lot of fun, had a great sense of humor. I don't know Mike uh, nearly as well, but tell me about the head coach of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, he's a, he's a classic one of those, you know, new up-and-coming coaches, you know, in the NBA that, that we've seen. And, um, and what I mean by that is, you know, these guys live and breathe this sport. And, um, you know, you, you're not going to outwork him. He's, he's kind of, uh, he's got all the initials, like the ADD and all, you know, ACA, whatever they all are. You know, like his, his office is completely 100% organized. Um, he's super focused on the game. He's always going to be prepared um, and, and just just loves the, you know, he got, he got that from his dad. Uh, he grew up a coach's son, and it just became part of who he is. Um, he, he is kind of hard-nosed at times, but uh, I, he does have a good relationship with the players. He understands, or he's starting to figure it out more what buttons you can push with which guy you know what i mean so he's he's getting there he's he's got a little bit he's got obviously we all have room to grow he's got a little longer ways to get there game time situations and they might not be perfect all the time but uh yeah he's an up-and-comer and they you know they they love him here in denver i uh jason i looked at philadelphia's schedule uh the eight games they're going to play and they probably have the easiest schedule i wouldn't be surprised if you if anybody thought that denver didn't have the hardest schedule. My God, I'm looking at the you open up Saturday against Miami, then play Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Portland, Utah, Lakers, Clippers, and Toronto. It's like the Batan Death March. Well, you know, in this, in, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist in all things in life, <laughs> and so this just feeds right into the, you know, well, why do the Lakers and Clippers have such an easy path? You know, uh, yeah, because they have a bigger TV market is why. Uh, you know. So, I mean, there's, uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, you're going to have to, you know, in order to be the best, you're, you're going you're to have to beat the best. And so, you know, the Nuggets could climb up to number one or they could fall no farther than number seven. So, you know, after four and a half months off, we'll see how this whole thing shakes out. Well, there's, no, there's virtually no chance they can get to one, but they can get to two. And then they got to look over their shoulder because Utah, Oklahoma City, and Houston are within two games of the loss column of Denver. So we could see a major shuffling during the course of this eight-game schedule. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. If they get um, – this sounds crazy, but whatever they can do to avoid Houston, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why, it, not only in the NBA, but in sports, for whatever reason, no matter how bad or good your record is, uh, you always have some other team's number for some reason. And – the Nuggets have just really, really struggled with the Houston Rockets. So, in my opinion, though, though you know, I'd rather play the Lakers and Clippers ahead of the Houston Rockets. That's where that's where I'm living. So, uh, well, in my, at least in my opinion, what, whatever they can do to avoid the Rockets in this little playoff thing that we're going to do, uh, that, that that that's better news for them. You know, forever and and, and spending 18 years calling NBA games, and any time I went into Denver, uh, I always talked to the players, and they oh, the players to a man always had this feeling that when they first began a contest in the Mile High City, they felt a burning in their chest in the first half of games, uh, which is a decided home court advantage for the Nuggets, certainly, and reflected by, you look at their home court record this year, 
It was pretty impressive at 25 and 8. Not so much on the road. Why do you think that is? Well, there is. I think. I think in the NBA, and that's what I'm. I'm so interested to see what happens with this playoff. In the NBA, more so than any other sport, uh, the home court advantage is 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 a bigger deal. In hockey, not so much. In baseball, kind of not so much. Maybe a little bit more in, in the NFL and stuff like that. But. Um, you know, the, the Nuggets, uh, and, and you're right, so the way the altitude works, and this is after years and years and asking 110,000 different people, the best way that it's been explained to me is the first five minutes of each half is, is what gets you. And if you think, of, now that may not sound like a lot, but if you can beat people, if, if you have a four, four, point adva- four or five point advantage, in the first five minutes of each half, well, that puts you up 10 to nothing before the game even starts. So in over the years, especially in the Doug Moe days and, and coaches that followed him, Mike D'Antoni and other ones, Dan Issel, is they use that altitude to their advantage to where um, they wanted to play fast, especially at home they wanted to play fast, just to kind of – they trying to kill your will when you come into Pepsi Center. It's like, man, listen, I don't want to chase these dudes around. I, I'm, I'm tired already. You know, it's the third game of a four-game road trip. I, I just don't have it in me. So they've had this, and this has traveled throughout the teams, they've had this kind of personality where they just kind of got teams less interested in playing here just because it's a little bit more difficult than other places. Now, why that can't translate on the road, I don't know, man. Um, Maybe it's because they're still a, a super young team and they haven't really had to figure out how to win quite yet. Um, but there's a significant difference on the Nuggets at home and the Nuggets on the road. There's no question about it. He's Jason Kosminski. the voice of the uh, Denver Nuggets. You you struck a note just now when you mentioned Doug Moe. Doug Moe went to Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn. How do I know that? I went to Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn <laughs> like long after Doug left, but I played with his kid brother, Donnie. Um, and, and Doug, I see Doug would, would hang around us every now and again. And, and when he became the coach and, and ran into him on the NBA circuit, he hadn't changed a bit. He's nuts. <laughs> yeah, no, he is, uh, you talk about a colorful individual. Um, and, and it, the, the, the year I loved it the most is, I think he actually did it for two years where, you know, North Carolina guys take care of each other as do Duke guys and all this stuff. So, when George Carl became head coach, he brought Doug Moe on as a consultant and talk about stealing money. That was <laughs> that was a classic. He didn't have to go to coaches' meetings. You know, he, he traveled around. So I, you know, we had lunch and dinner all the time together. So even though we had a relationship before, those two years when he was the consultant for for George Carl, man, that was a blast. That guy's got. Uh, well, as you well know, that guy's got over a million stories, and I mean, it's uh, you can just sit there and listen to that all day. Well, and he called everybody a stiff. You know, yeah. it, it didn't make, if you were even if you were a superstar player, oh, that's stiff over there. And and, yeah. and, and, and you he'll know. say, and he'll call it, he'll tell that to their face. Yeah, you know, that's what's, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a good dude. No, there's no doubt. And then after Mo, Mo left, like a few years later, Billy Cunningham came into our high school. And was a superstar there and wound up going to North Carolina, as you're aware. So I could tell you where Doug Moe and Billy Cunningham, when they cut class, what pool room they went to in Brooklyn. I could tell you. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> I love it. Place called Spinelli's. It was on Flatbush Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, um, <laughs> I just think of Doug Moe, and I sat down with him many times. And, and you know, we, we, I sat with him for a long time because he knew where I went to high school, so he was very comfortable in, in talking about, about the NBA. But as, as, as it's currently constituted, let's assume the Nuggets finish third in the West. Uh, you say you don't want to see Houston, which right now, well, they're tied with Oklahoma City for fifth. So uh, what kind of problems does Utah present? What kind of problems does Oklahoma City present? What kind of problems does Dallas present? Well, the, the problem with Houston is, um, you know, and mind you, this is just subjective. This is just one man's opinion. It's just, a, in my opinion, an ugly game of basketball. Just a constant dribbling, at, 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 you know, and then the rocker jumper to three. And, um, yeah, they jack up a lot of threes, but... Um, I guess there's just no there's no real good flow when when you play the Houston Rockets. You have James Harden, you know, slowly walking it across the half court line, and so I mean, it's just their I think it's their style more their more than their personnel um, that that gives Denver problems. Now, having said that, they do have two future Hall of Famers on that team, so right. uh, that presents its own problem. Oklahoma City. Now, that's the opposite for Denver. Uh, they've had their number, and, and they, they've had their number for a while. Not every game, but even when Westbrook is there. For some reason, they play well against the Oklahoma City Thunder, so that's, of course, where you know what Denver would want to draw. And I think Dallas, this, is, this team here, this is the one big question mark, right? I mean, because they're up-and-comers. They have one of the best young players that we've seen in a long, long time in, in Luka Doncic. Uh, you know, they, they have a big man that doesn't like to post up. And Kristaps Porzingis, he prefers to shoot the three. But they got a lot of help around them. They, they're very well coached under Rick Carlisle. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they could, you know they, that's a problem. They could be a problem for somebody. Just hopefully it won't be the Nuggets. Yeah, I'm a big Rick Carlisle fan. I think he's, uh, just an opinion, I think he's one of the top five coaches in the league. I think he's as well prepared as anybody. I saw that up close and personal when he assisted Chuck Daly with New Jersey, and I would sit courtside doing games close enough to the Nets bench where I could hear things, and Daly always relented to Carlisle. He would say to him, what do you got? And Rick always came up with the, with the exact need play that, that helped them win games. But this league right now, there is, I mean, you, your guy, obviously, Mike Malone, is a, is a, is a terrific young coach. You got uh, Brad Stevens in Boston. You got Billy Donovan. You got, uh, I mean, there's just so many good coaches right now in the league. You don't sneak up on anybody anymore in this league. No, and, you know, I, I had one, one comment about uh, Rick Carlisle. The only thing that strikes me as a little odd is that uh, he gets his ankle tapes taped before each game. Does he? I'm, trying to, I'm trying to figure out why that's a thing, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, to, to, you, to your point, is heck, you can go right down the line. I mean, you can even, you know, get to some of the older guys like, you know, Steve Kerr and Mike D'Antoni. I mean, it just goes, it just goes on and on and on. And no, you can't. I mean, and it's not just the head coaches. I mean, the assistant coaches, they are so well prepared. Um, you know, everybody has a duty. A lot of times you have a defensive guy. A lot of times you have, uh, you know, uh, an out of bounds coach, you know. So, uh, just just the overall coaching staffs nowadays is uh, second to none. I, I tell you what, you make it as a head coach of the NBA, you you you've got somewhere. 
Yeah, it's interesting, and I don't know if you know this, but there was a story today in the uh, one of the New York papers that uh, that the uh, the Nets may make a concerted run if he leaves his present job. And we're talking about Greg Popovich. I don't know. I think when Popovich leaves San Antonio, he's done. But who knows? Who knows what goes on in his mind? The guy's a great coach. He's very, uh, very socially aware, very politically motivated. Uh, it's interesting, but, you know, Popovich has never been a big fan of the three-point shot either. No, and I, I'm with you. I, I don't think Pop can do it in somebody else's house. Um, you know, it's just like one of the first things Michael Malone said when, when he came to Denver is that, you know, he followed – he followed Brian Shaw here, right? So he said the first thing the first thing that he wanted to do was change the culture. And Greg Popovich did the same thing in San Antonio, but he's involved in everything. I mean, we're talking how the parking lot should be designed, uh, ticket sales, you know. And so over the decades that he's been there, he's got everything dialed in the way he wants it. And uh, but I'm with you. I don't, I'm not sure he can do it in, in somebody else's house. But but you never know, man. I mean, he's a he's a genius. You look at the, and I don't know if if you could say, Jason, that one team's got more of an advantage than another. There's no home court advantage. Uh, in Philadelphia's case, they were terrible on the road. They don't have to worry about that. I think the most dangerous team in the East right now is Philadelphia because they really didn't uh, have as good a beginning as people expected of them. And because of that, Brett Brown's job seems to be on the hot seat. Uh, I think if Joel Embiid plays like he's capable of playing, the Philadelphia 76ers are going to be very uh, very dangerous out. Well, I mean, for sure. For, I mean, just, just put talent out there alone, you know. I mean, you look at this guy, you look at this team, and... You know, one through twelve, man. That's a first of all, they have a lot of names, and second of all, that's a lot of talent. Here's the only thing that would strike me as a negative towards Philadelphia, um, and this is the difference between the teams like the Lakers and, and maybe even Toronto to a certain extent. Um, Denver's slowly starting to get there. Is that the, the Lakers and those and Clippers? They believe they can. They, they, they actually believe they can win the NBA championship. And now that sounds really easy to say, and, and, and you can walk around going, yeah, we could win it, but to actually believe it is a whole different thing, and I'm not sure Philadelphia believes they can do that. Uh, we're going to find out soon enough, but uh, you mentioned the Lakers and the Clippers. Look, the Clippers, beginning of the year, I said I like them to win the title because they're the deepest team in the NBA. Okay, so now what do we have? We have the Clippers and a coach that has experience on the big stage in Doc Rivers. And you've got a superstar in Kawhi Leonard who won a title last year with Toronto. Toronto's got to be the surprise team of the year, what they've done without Leonard. And here they are, second best team in the East. And a lot of people figure that they're likely to meet Milwaukee in the Eastern Final. I think Nick Nurse is coach of the year. Oh, yeah, you could absolutely. Isn't it funny how that goes? Because like when 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 Miami had the big three down there and, and Bosch and Wade and LeBron James and Eric Spolstra kept on getting mentioned for coach of the year, I just never understood that. I'm like, come on, bro, I could coach that team. Um, but like when when Bosch got sick and then Wade and LeBron left, they were still relevant. 
that was his best coaching year. Is when 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 you when you do something that you're not supposed to do as a team, and that reflects straight on your head coach. So um, I, I, I I love Nick Nurse. I also love I love Milwaukee. I remember you know we don't get to see the Eastern teams very often. We only get to see them twice a year. But when we played Milwaukee, I was thinking to myself, man, how can this is a what a well-designed basketball team. I mean, off, offense and defense, this team is put together. And if they buy in and if they believe, they could make some noise. Who's the MVP, Giannis or LeBron? Um, boy, if Giannis could shoot a three, it'd be him all day. I, I, I still say it's Giannis. I mean, you know, Le, LeBron's a phenomenal player. and You know, he's going to go down as one of the, one of the greatest of all time. But when you when you join the NBA when you're just turned 18, you know, and you're now 33 or 34, uh, there's a difference. You know, you don't have that youthful exuberance that uh, you know that Giannis has. So um, I'd say it's going to be a close race. Hopefully, it won't be a popularity contest. But I think Giannis, at the end of the day, if you uh, you know that's the question. If you were a general manager of a basketball team and you got to pick anybody in the league as your number one overall pick, who would that be? And for me, it would be Giannis. Um, I, I look at his two arguments. Number one, I think Giannis is the MVP. I think he deserves that. But if I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to your second question. If you're a co- guy starting out, you're a coach. Who would you rather have? I would take LeBron only because he can play all five positions, and he's also leading the league in assists. He gets everybody involved and, and also finds enough time to score. But his, his uh, mission this year was to get Anthony Davis involved early and often, and he has done that. Yeah, and you know what? And, and that's a really good point, too, because he's changed his game, right? I mean, it used to be kind of more about kind of hero ball, more about him. And after he's been in the league this, this long, I, I remember – you know, in the offseason, he said, oh, no, we're, we're going to run the offense through Anthony Davis. And I was just sitting there kind of laughing at myself. I'm like, oh, yeah, LeBron James is going to run the offense through Anthony Davis. That's going to be a thing. And he's actually doing it, you know. So uh, he's smart enough to, to kind of change his game and his approach to the game in, in order to get what he ultimately wants, and that's a championship for the L.A. Lakers. Well, let's look at your team uh, in terms of going forward. Let's just say they finish third. And they wind up playing Oklahoma City in the first round. And they're successful. Uh, look, you got Lakers and Clippers 1-2 on the top of the list. Lakers likely to play uh, Memphis. Oh, before I forget, you said before about conspiracy theories. You yeah. think you think there was one to make sure that uh, Zion Williamson got into play? <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're, starting to, now you're starting to get on board. This is what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Uh, it's interesting because all those, all those guys that were injured, like should there be, you know, that were declared out for the year, there's about three or four of them that are now going to play. And it's like, should there be a rule where they don't get a play? I mean, I don't know. I don't, you know, we've never, we've never gone through this before, but it's a, uh, it's, it's an interesting sports talk radio debate on if you should allow those guys to play or not. All right. So where, do, if, a lot of people think that, you know, on, in the right set of circumstances, in a seven-game series, why not pick the Nuggets over the Lakers? Why not pick the Nuggets over the Clippers? Matchup-wise, 
Who do the Nuggets match up better with, the Clippers or the Lakers? I think they match up better against the Lakers. Um, and and like when like when you were talking about in the offseason, you thought the Clippers were the odds-on favorite going in. And I thought so, too, because whenever you have, you know, arguably two of the top five defenders in the NBA and Paul George um, on, and Kawhi Leonard on that team with kind of a bulldog point guard of Patrick Beverly, although he's got personal issues now and had to go home. But, you know, the, it, it, it's, the NBA has made it now to where all the rules they've changed in the last three years all favor offensive players. So it's actually kind of hard to play defense in the NBA. Um, it's, it's, it takes a lot of effort. You know, it, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So for the handful of teams that can do that, I think they have a significant advantage. So um, for, for just for my eyes, I'd, I'd rather see the Lakers than the Clippers if you're a Nuggets fan. Uh, well, no, I understand that. And a lot of people are not looking past the Nuggets. Uh, believe me when I say that around the league. But let's – and isn't it a shame that the Clippers and the Lakers are not going to play a seven-game series in the Staples Center? How wild would that be? Yeah, I know. That's, uh, that's, that, and there's a lot of those, you know, and that's the, that's the one thing. It's like people, you know, they've asked me, what's the most interesting storyline about the bubble coming up here? Everybody's in the bubble. And I'm like, you know what it is? I think the most interesting storyline – is we don't know. Right. I mean, you know, we, we have never, ever been through this. And you, 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 look at the, you look at the scrimmage games leading up here in the, in the, yesterday, and they're trying to, like, Miami, Miami was a home team. And uh, so they had, like, you know, fake Miami fans there, and they would put sounds up, uh, you know, like the, the crowd noise would be louder when Miami scored as opposed to when the other team scored. So I don't know. I, I think the most interesting storyline is uh, I can't wait to see what happens around here. All right. You guys play Miami on Saturday, your first game that counts. Uh, and then as I mentioned, I looked at your schedule. It's it's very difficult, obviously. But where where will you be? You'll be in Denver, I guess, calling the game. Yeah, so what they're going to do um, is they're going to put us um, at Pepsi Center where the, where the Nuggets play, and we're going to be in our actual radio broadcast position, hmm. and uh, and we're going to call the game off the jumbotron. Wow! Um, so it's it's really weird. So there's going to be you know seven people at Pepsi Center in the building, and they're all going to be broadcasters. Uh, do you work alone? Do you work with a partner? Um, I used to work alone, but now um, uh, I get a rotating tele- uh, altitude television person. So uh, a lot of times it's Katie Wingy who went to Illinois State University. She's a young buck coming up. Uh, she's done some color for TV, does a lot of sideline and studio work for him. Uh, then the second guy is Chris Dempsey. He's a former writer for the Denver Post. And he jumped on uh, with Altitude and, and got hired by them a, a year ago. And then if we do get to the second round, television can't at or can't broadcast the games anymore. So then I'll get Scott Hastings for the for the rest of the way. Uh, you won't have any fun with Scott Hastings now, will you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's one of my best friends, man. <laughs> I've, uh, we've 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 been together a, a lot, a lot of years. So uh, it's it's pretty fun. We. 
we always tell each other right before the broadcast, like, hey, man, let's just tone it down just a little bit because we could be, <laughs> you know, we could be a couple of knuckleheads for three hours easy. Yeah. Well, let me ask you the final question. This is the most important question you're going to answer this week. Do you ever watch a TV show, Friends? Yes, I do. Okay. Number one, who's your favorite character? Uh, we've, had a de- we've had a debate on this. Um, I just think that David Schwimmer or Ross Geller, if you will, uh, I just think his timing on humor is, uh, we haven't seen that in a long time. So from a comedic standpoint, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say David, David Schwimmer or Ross Geller. Yeah, and a very good physical comedian as well. Um, was it Ross or Russ? Which one? I forget. It's uh, Ross. Yeah, well, it's, remember, remember the time when Rachel was dating Russ, who yeah. looked exactly like Ross? Yeah, and she didn't see it. <laughs> and she didn't. But, all right, now the most. Course, imp- I, I'm probably the biggest idiot by not saying Jennifer Aniston, right? I mean, no, no, no. A, that that leads what to kind the. Of an American male would say David Schwimmer over Jennifer Aniston. No, no, that leads to the second question. And and I, I'm you're married. Uh, I used to be. No longer. She's no longer with the company. Okay. Um, of the three women in on Friends, you're obviously attracted to Jennifer Aniston first, right? Well, she's the most attractive. Uh, except that I think Phoebe is very pretty, and she's nuts, and that's what makes her fun. Uh, yeah, so like Phoebe's the one you'd want to go ha- have a beer with, right? Right. And, and hang out and, and go do stuff with. Monica would be the one where you just want to chill at home and watch Netflix with and, and cook in the kitchen and, and get a good meal together. And then, you know, Jennifer Aniston is who you want all your friends to see you with. I get it. I get it. Well, see, see, I married Monica. My wife is Monica. Oh, okay. Yeah, good cook and a neat freak. Drives me crazy. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, my, my girlfriend's the same way. It's like, uh, it's constant organization. Jason, I appreciate the time. Enjoy the schedule when it starts on Saturday. Most importantly, stay safe. All right, brother. Call me anytime, man. You got it. Thank you. He's Jason Kazmiski, voice of the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, I got to switch gears real quick because one of the hottest stories going on right now is what's going on with... Um, the owner of the New York football Jets. And he is Rich Samini, who we're going to talk to momentarily. Hey, Howard, how you doing? Hey, Rich, how are you? We are ready to go. We are live. And uh, I'm not even going to waste any of your time because I know you're, you're, you're really short on time. Uh, this whole story with... Um, with Woody Johnson, what was your initial reaction when you first heard about it a day or two ago? Well, uh, you know, you're you're always uh, surprised when something like this happens. I mean, I've known Woody for 20 years when he took over the Jets in uh, 2000, and I'm not going to say we're buddy-buddy or anything, but I've been in his presence a lot and never heard anything resembling a racially insensitive remark so your your first takeaway is you know you're surprised especially in the position he's in now in you know such a high diplomatic post in the united states government so so yeah surprise and also just a lot of questions about how it will impact you know the team i cover which is the jets um 
the, I don't know if you've heard this, but the Fritz Pollard Alliance, uh, which champions diversity in the NFL, is deeply troubled by the allegations. Uh, their chairman, former giant Harry Carson, uh, released a statement uh, this morning calling for the league to monitor the matter and to take action if necessary. What action? Uh, because, and I preface my remarks by saying, what action did the league take when Deshaun Jackson said something obviously stupid? Uh, and what action did the league take when Colin Kaepernick has basically been blackballed for the last three years? So now I'm going to put it on the commissioner, Roger Goodell, and saying, what action is he likely to take? Well, I don't think the league does a very good job in situations like this because when I reached out to the league yesterday to get an initial statement, they basically punted. You know, they said uh, they're aware of the uh, story by CNN, which first broke this news, and they said we're referring you to the State Department. So basically the Jets punted on it. I mean, rather the NFL punted on it, and uh, they're going to let the government do their own investigation which I think is wrong. I mean, even though he made these allegedly made these comments, not as the owner of the Jets, but as a government official, he's still the owner of the Jets, and I think it impacts the league and you know the league's image. And so I think the league should conduct its own investigation into this matter, and so should the Jets. And uh, so the league is doesn't have a great track record when it comes to you know being consistent in these type of issues. Uh, the New York Times uh, had a story where it, it, it implied that Woody Johnson was asked by President Donald Trump to help him get the Open Championship to his resort in Turnberry. Uh, on Wednesday, Trump denied the report, which means nothing to me. And furthermore, it's it, it, people don't seem to understand the Open Championship is scheduled for four and five years in advance. Exactly. Um yeah, so I read that story a couple of days ago as well in the New York Times. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was more of a... I mean, I cover the Jets, so I'm looking at it from the Woody Johnson angle there. And uh, that actually didn't trouble me as much because that was more of a Trump story, in my opinion. Although it did have some context with regards to these allegedly uh, insensitive remarks regarding race and gender. That, those were mentioned in the Times story, and that certainly raised a red flag for me, but it really wasn't until the CNN story came out yesterday that really uh, did a deep dive into some of these racial a accusations that really caught my attention. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, what do you, look, I mean, he's, he's a billionaire. I think Forbes had his worth at somewhere about $4 billion. Uh, you know, he's, I've always had pleasant dealings with him. Uh, he's an affable guy. I think you've probably met him on a number of occasions. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's the sharpest when it comes to uh, speaking in front of large groups and in crowds. Uh, he's had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth, you know, with regard to talking about the Jets and football matters. He's made some clumsy remarks over the years, which we've written about, uh, and so. You know, I don't think he's comfortable in front of large groups, which is a, which is not a great thing when your when your job is to be in front of large groups. So uh, that part is a little bit concerning. But be that as it may, if he did make those comments, then uh, I agree with the Prince Pollard Alliance that he should be punished by the league. He's Rich Semini, who uh, covers the Jets for ESPN. I'm. Uh... 
racist and sexist remarks. And at first glance, you go, Woody Johnson, sexist remarks? It just didn't, it didn't compute. The racist remarks drew the ire of Jamal Adams, who's got a, a whole series of other issues he's trying to deal with as it relates to his, his contract, etc. And he basically uh, you know, took on the owner. And if he's looking for an excuse to find a way to get out, I guess so. But the fact of the matter is, if in Deshaun Jackson's case is an example. Now, he has backtracked since. But the Eagles fined him. Now, I don't know what the amount was, and it doesn't matter. But the league has done nothing. They have been silent. And their silence to me, is deafening. Yeah, it's almost like they have a double standard when it comes to, I mean, look, in my opinion, a, a racially insensitive remark is, it, it, it's the same regardless of the group it's directed at. So, I mean, whether it's anti-Semitic or, you know, anti-black, to me it's all the same. It's hate, you know, and, and they should be dealt with appropriately. And, the league has not done so with Deshaun, as, as you mentioned. As for the Jamal Adams situation, uh, I was a little troubled by that tweet yesterday. Obviously, he has an ulterior motive. He's trying to get traded. He's unhappy with the organization. But, um, you know, these are allegations right now. There's no proof that Woody Johnson said it. And until, until there's proof, I think, you know, we should withhold judgment. You know, based on the premise that we're innocent until proven guilty, and Jamal didn't do that. I mean, he he basically, you know, slammed him for saying these remarks on Twitter, and I thought that was presumptuous. And uh, I think we're all entitled to, you know, due process. And uh, Woody certainly will have his chance. So he's denied it. I mean, we should go on record as saying that right now. Woody, you know, issued a tweet last night denying claims so I thought Jamal's tweet was probably out of line but like I said you know he's got other issues going on you know he's trying to separate himself from the team so maybe he felt uh, um, you know this was a way to do that although if I'm a player uh, especially a black player I, I have definitely troubled by these remarks you know I would like to hear from, from Woody himself to explain himself because uh, you know those if, if he said it are very troubling remarks. Well, obviously Jamal has an ulterior motive, but any I don't know what kind of a deal would make the Jets happy if they agreed to trade their best player, because that's what he is. Uh, I don't know what it would take to get them to separate themselves. Now, you usually don't see a big-ticket guy as a safety getting huge amounts of money. We saw the Patrick Mahomes contract. That's normal to have a big contract for a quarterback. Uh, you know, we, we've seen this before, but under what circumstances would the Jets be even remotely interested in making a deal to trade their best player? Well, my sources are telling me pretty consistently all along that they don't want to trade him for the reason you just mentioned. He is their best player by far. And, uh, you know, they got him at a really good price right now. Let's be honest. It's a team-friendly contract, you know, for two more years. And they have all the leverage that he's under contract for two more years, plus any franchise tags that come after that. So the Jets are in no hurry. They're slow playing this, as they should. And it would take a, a, a really good offer that they can't refuse, uh, a first-round pick and then some, you know, probably a, a one and a two or a one and a starting player. Um, the problem is, you know, I think Jamal is hurting his own trade value 
social media, you know, with his trade request and so forth. Uh, that is not helping his cause either because other teams are looking at this and seeing a player, you know, who's being that disruptive. And so I think teams are probably approaching with caution, even though he is a really good player. So um, I think he'll report to training camp next week or whenever training camp starts just because the penalties for a holdout are so severe. So I think he'll come to camp. The question is, you know, is he going to develop a phantom injury in training camp, or how will he comport himself once he's with the team? To me, that's a big question. Hey, Rich, let me ask you this. You've been around the league long enough to see this, but this is not the only time we've heard about a player who was outspoken about his situation. We've seen it with Odell Beckham Jr. We've seen it with Randy Moss. We've seen it with Terrell Owens. We've seen, I mean, history shows there's loads of these kinds of players. Is there a thought that goes on in the teams in the league that say, we want to really stay away from these guys that is so outspoken? I think it depends on the organization and, you know, what kind of infrastructure they have set up. Obviously, a team like the Patriots are willing to take more of a chance. I mean, they signed Antonio Brown last year for crying out loud, you know, albeit a brief stay in New England. So they have such a strong infrastructure and obviously a, a really strong head coach that they're willing, you know, they've set a culture and they could perhaps handle a player like that. You know, other teams that are finding their way, you know, like the Jets and I guess I'd throw the Giants into that category or any team with a new coach is probably a little more hesitant to take on a player like that. But he's a really good player, Jamal. I mean, he didn't make two Pro Bowls by accident. And, uh, you know, he does want an extension. He wants to be the highest paid safety in the league. He's probably looking for about $17, 18000000 a year. And I, I just don't know if a team is willing to pay that and also compensate the Jets with draft picks and or players. So in my opinion, it's going to be very, very difficult to trade him and so that's why I think he'll end up starting the season with the Jets. Their general manager, Joe Douglas, was charged with the responsibility of fixing a big weakness, and that is the offensive line. So he, uh, he, uh, he went after the needs in terms of free agency with offensive linemen. He drafted Becton. Uh, so they've addressed the situation, but have you done enough research to see if they just, uh, they just went after a bunch of guys, or is, it, or is there enough to repair this offensive line. Yeah, I like what he did because uh, he went after, um, I mean, look, they didn't sign any Pro Bowl players. I mean, they, they, they were not, Jake Conklin, Jack Conklin was the big name. Uh, there was a lot of speculation. The Jets really never had much interest in him. He ended up signing a huge deal with Cleveland. The guy I think the Jets would have gone after is Joe Thune from New England. He ended up getting franchised. So that took him out of the equation. Uh, so the Jets ended up signing really middle-of-the-road type players for reasonable contracts that I would I would say you know in the in the six to nine million a year range. And, and in all of those contracts, they can get out after a year. So it was really a a measured approach, conservative approach to try to rebuild the line. So a long answer. Long answer to try to make it shorter is yes, I do think they've improved the offensive line. I, I wouldn't call it a strength. To me, the key is Mackay Becton. You you referenced him, Howard. He he does have immense talent, but he's a rookie, so he'll take some time to get up to speed. But he is the one guy who really has 
an unlimited ceiling and could take this line to the next level, but it's just going to take time, especially with no offseason. You know, there's just they haven't practiced together. Well, let's let's look at they lose Robbie Anderson to Carolina in free agency. I'm not sure it's a devastating loss. I think he's a good receiver, but he's not a superstar. So they signed Brashad Perryman. Uh, you know, they've got they drafted uh, Mims, which I think was a good pick. Uh, we'll find out how good in time. And you know, they've got some other they've got some other receivers, slot receivers, tight ends, some guys coming back from injury and so on. And then depending on the offensive line and Darnold's time to throw and all the rest, I don't think they're going to be as bad as people think. Well, a lot of people think they're going to be bad because if you look at all these preseason power polls, they're, they're down somewhere like 26, 27, you know, in the league. And, and those really are just guesses. We don't, who knows, you know, especially this year with, with COVID and, you know, we'll have a truncated preseason. So no preseason games, training camp abbreviated, you know, so it's a, more of a guessing game than ever. I think the defense is going to have to carry the Jets, especially through the early part of the year, because I think offensive play throughout the league is going to be pretty shabby through the early part of the year, just because there's been no time together. And uh, so I think the Jets defense could actually keep them in games. I do think on offense, there's a, just a shortage of weapons for Darnold. Um, I agree with you about Robbie Anderson. I don't think he was a blue chip player, but and I do think Mims has a bright future, but I'm really concerned about what they have right now. And I would not be surprised at all if Joe Douglas makes a trade for a wide receiver at some point toward the end of the preseason just to bring in another veteran because they they desperately need another veteran in there. Hey, Rich, appreciate your time. Thanks for stopping by. You bet, Howard. Have a good one. Stay safe. You too. Rich Samini works for ESPN, covers the New York Jets and the NFL, obviously. I uh, saw so something that was kind of Im- Im- interesting. It made me think, how many of us remember which hand? Let's go with this hand. How many of us remember the Apollo Creed uh, and the Russians? His name escapes me right now. Remember the exhibition? It was just an exhibition. And it wound up, Apollo Creed dies in the ring. And I thought about that when I heard today that former heavyweight champion Mike Tyson is going to make a comeback fighting Roy Jones Jr. in an eight-round exhibition match September the 12th, if it goes eight rounds. The bout uh, is going to be on pay-per-view. Would you pay to see Mike Tyson fight Roy Jones Jr. Now, I think there's a weight disparity here. I seem to remember Roy Jones is, what, a welterweight or a middleweight? Um, Roy Jones last fought two years ago. He's 51 years old. Mike Tyson hasn't fought in 15 years. Now he's 54 years old. Would you actually pay to see this? Let me, let me draw a picture. Would you actually pay to see 54-year-old Mike Tyson fight 51-year-old Roy Jones Jr.? Here's what you do. You make your finger look like this. What does this look like? A hook, right? Stick it in here. 
That's what kind of a hook you need in your mouth to buy that on pay-per-view. <laughs> Seriously? You got nothing better to do with your money? Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. I mean, look, I can think of a lot of ways to take Just take your money, go over into the bathroom, pick up the seat, put it in the toilet and flush it. Same difference. Seriously? Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. I, uh, getting to the real sports. And last night I watched some NBA basketball. And predictably it was sloppy. I, I get that. But a couple of things caught my eye. Number one, Denver's Bowl Bowl, the son of Manute Bowl. I'm watching this guy, seven foot fifteen or whatever heck he is, standing in the corner and firing up threes. He had eight of them. He made two. Now his father, as I remember, used to shoot threes, but it was more of a joke amongst his teammates, most notably Charles Barkley. So, but I like this Denver team. I really do. I think they're an interesting squad. I think it's going to be tough for them to win because you got the Lakers and the Clippers in the West. So getting by them would, would be a trip to say the least. And, you know, the Nuggets, uh, they're not going to catch the Lakers. That's obvious. But uh, Can they catch the Clippers? Yeah, they're two games. They're a game and a half out behind the Clippers. But their schedule, Denver, is brutal. Uh, they got to look over their shoulder. They got to see Utah, Oklahoma City, Houston uh, that are all within two ga- games of them in the loss column. So that presents a little bit of a problem. But barring anything strange, and in this, with the COVID going on right now, and we don't know what kind, we can only hope. And after watching some games last night, yeah, some guys look like they were right in the groove right away. Paul George looked right in the groove right away last night uh, in the Clippers game, which they won rather easily. Um, that, that aside, I... Uh, I look at the NBA, that's going to take a little bit of time. It's unfamiliar surroundings, playing in the bubble, and all the rest of that stuff. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I think the rosters are going to be thinned out a little bit. Uh, in some cases, teams don't have to be, I mean, there are some teams where they must win uh, to stay alive. Most notably, uh, Brooklyn is only a game, and I watched Brooklyn last night. I mean, they're missing more guys than they got. So the chances of them making the playoffs are now bordering on, on uh, yeah, they'll make the playoffs because they've got a, a six-game lead over Washington in the loss column uh, for the eighth and final playoff spot. On the assumption Orlando passes them, and I think they will. Uh, but that aside, uh, it doesn't make any difference who finishes eighth. Either Orlando or Brooklyn, they're both getting beat by Milwaukee in four straight. There's no question about it. Toronto in the second spot. They get either Brooklyn or Orlando. It's not a contest. The third spot is where it starts getting interesting. Boston would play either Indiana or Philadelphia. Uh, If they play Indiana, uh, I don't see it as a series. They play Philadelphia. It kind of makes us go back to the days when Boston and Philly had the phenomenal series in NBA playoffs in years gone by. So that'd be kind of fun. And then you come to Miami playing either Indiana or Philadelphia. And that would be very interesting, to say the least, but I like Miami to advance to the second round. Uh, Beyond that, uh, I'm looking for Milwaukee and and Toronto to wind up in the Eastern Final with Milwaukee to win out uh, in the uh, the Western Conference. I see Lakers and Clippers winding up in the Western Final, which is no shock. Uh, I, I got my heart says Lakers. My mind says Clippers. 
I think the Clippers are just too deep. I really do. Uh, and I'm never going to bet against LeBron James. But I just think the Clippers are too deep. Uh, and it's not just Kawhi and Paul George. It's a whole bunch of other people. They, I mean, they can go 10 deep on their roster. And, and will. Because the Lakers bench is not as deep. And certainly without Avery Bradley. And I don't know uh, when uh, Rajon Rondo is going to come back. So, you know, they're in a little bit of a bind. But I'm not betting against LeBron James. I've seen him in situations before where the odds were against him, and he's emerged victorious. So is it possible? Well, certainly. Um, baseball starts tonight. Very much looking forward to it. Very much looking forward to Major League Baseball tonight because there's a marquee matchup tonight, and it's the Yankees, and it's the uh, Washington Nationals, and we're going to see... Um, Scherzer and Cole going head-to-head in Washington. Good matchup, man. That's seventh game of the World Series stuff, you know? That's, that's seven games of a, of a, 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 a pennant-clinching seventh game, either the American League or the National League. That's, that's the big stuff. And we're going to see big stuff, like, right away uh, because you got two of the best pitchers in baseball going head-to-head. And I, I was amused at Cole's comments when uh, he was asked about, is he excited uh, for the game tonight? Uh, he, he said, yeah, I'm excited. I'm having trouble sleeping. That's how jacked up he was. Keep in mind, this kid uh, was a California kid, grew up a Yankee fan, went to UCLA, was actually drafted by the Yankees, and decided to go to UCLA instead and not go to the Yankees. Then Now, here he is. His career has come full circle. And now he's going to pitch for the New York Yankees tonight. Yankees and Dodgers, most people think, in the World Series. Personally, I'd love to see it. Because you got two marquee franchises that used to do it all the time. Yankees and Dodgers. And it was always compelling. And now the Dodgers have signed Mookie Betts to a whole bunch of money. $350 million or whatever. Second highest paid player uh, to Mike Trout. Is he the second best player in baseball? Yeah. You can make a case for that. Why not? Why not? So the Dodgers make a great move. Uh, he'll help. There's no question about it. I mean, let's face it. You're playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers. You put that blue L.A. cap on, it means something. Now, no disrespect to the Boston Red Sox. They're a storied franchise. Got a tremendous fan base. But it's the Dodgers. It's the Yankees. It means a lot. So whether there's people in the stands or not, doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. It's, we're seeing, we, we have a chance to see the two most uh, recognizable franchises in baseball. And I think it's fair to say the Yankees with their history of championships, although they hadn't won one since 2009. It's been a while. Uh, the Dodgers made a good team into an even better team with bets. So they're going to be fun, but, you know, I wouldn't turn my back on Washington. I wouldn't turn my back on Atlanta, okay? I wouldn't turn my back on Philadelphia. And by the way, I think the NL East is going to be murder, top to bottom. You win games in that division, you've done something. You got the Phillies, you got the Braves, you got the Nationals, you got the Mets who have a very pitching rich, although they're losing people. Stroman's now out, so they're losing people on a daily basis. So, you know, we'll see how all of that shakes out. Uh, This whole thing about... The Jets owner, Woody Johnson, still got me perplexed. Um, 
I think it's imperative for the National Football League to come out and say something. I think it's mandatory. They've got to say something. First, they've got to do an investigation and find out if the allegations are true. Did Woody Johnson make racist remarks? Did Woody Johnson, is he guilty of sexual allegations uh, and insensitive remarks as it relates to women? Is any of this true? Jamal Adams of the Jets has already roasted his owner. Um, I, I, if I were Jamal Adams, I, I would think before I speak. You know, nothing's been proven yet. The allegations are, are massive and they're incriminating. But are they true? I don't know. I'm not ready to, just, to burn Woody Johnson at the stake. I think it's unfair. We are in a country where there is something called justice prudence. And you're not, you're not guilty until proven innocent. You're innocent until proven guilty. So before you start roasting Woody Johnson, let's just step back a little bit. Um, there's a report now that Major League Baseball is considering with the union to expanding the playoffs to 16. Uh, I think that would be a good idea. Interesting to note, and I don't know what this exactly means, but Fox Television uh, apparently is going to use virtual crowds for its Major League Baseball broadcast. Now, I don't know what that means, but I'll be very interested to tune in and find out. So we've got Major League Baseball starting tonight. Uh, NBA basketball starting this, uh, let me be sure that I don't want to give you false information. Major League uh, Basketball starts Thursday, which is tonight, Utah and New Orleans, and then uh, the marquee game is Clippers-Lakers. Uh, I don't know if Zion Williamson is going to be playing tonight for New Orleans. He did not play last night in the exhibition game, so let's just uh, wait and see before we make any determination as to who plays who. Uh, tomorrow it's a bigger schedule, Orlando-Brooklyn, Memphis-Portland, Phoenix, Washington, Boston, Milwaukee, which is a dandy, Sacramento, San Antonio, and Houston and Dallas for the Battle of uh, Lone Star State is also an intriguing contest. Uh, and then it, it all gets in a full swing after that. Interesting to see exactly how all of this is going to shake out. Uh, the Stanley Cup hockey uh, will begin on Saturday, I guess. Yes, hockey will begin on Saturday. Um, we'll see how that all shakes out. Uh, I, my, my Rangers are playing Carolina in a best of five in a, uh, a qualifying round. And then Florida plays New Jersey, uh, the New York Islanders in another qualifying battle as well. So we'll see how all of that shakes out. So here we're starting to get into some kind of a conversation about professional sports. It's all going to be beginning. You can't put the COVID-19 behind us, but you can at least put it to the back page at least for a little while so we have something else to concentrate on, and that would be a good thing. Um, I, um, I'm very excited about the prospects of seeing big league sports, starting with baseball tonight, little NBA. Uh, my wife's going to say, well, I guess I'm losing you now, but, you know, she's interested in it too and, and does care she's not. As, as big an avid fan as I am because that, that's part of the business as, as we've chosen, as, my, as Hyman Ross said that in The Godfather. This is the business we've chosen. But it's, it's, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of passion connected with the world of sports, both college and pro. More, uh, 
more college, less college, I should say, than pro. Uh, we'll see how this whole thing all shakes out, but it's going to be kind of interesting to say the least. Uh, personally, uh, I'm looking forward to all of this. Little by little by little, we're going to talk to one of the guys that you see often on ESPN. He's Sal Palantonio, and he's going to join me momentarily. Matter of fact, let's connect with Sal now, shall we? Hello. Is this Salvatore Anthony Nicholas Palantonio? You got him. <laughs> you didn't think I knew your real name, did you? Uh, I'm very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> you pronounced it perfectly. Uh, well, I'm trying. You know, I grew up. My, my whole neighborhood was either you were Italian, you were Irish, or you were Jewish. So everybody knew everybody. And you and and I know the other thing I love about you, Sal. And by the way, Sal Palantonio joining Howard David live, um, a member of our military armed forces with the United States Navy. I was in the Air Force, but uh, you were an officer. I was an enlisted man. But I'm not saluting you. Forget it. <laughs> That's okay. I salute you, Howard. You got it. You've had a great, great, great career, and I'm glad to join you today. Well, it's been my it's my pleasure. You know what's interesting to me, Sal, in in reading about you and knowing you for a long time, uh, you basically you weren't really a sports guy early on. You were more into politics, and then as a beat reporter for the Eagles, uh, how serious were you to follow a political reporting career? Right. So after I got out of the Navy. Um I moved actually from Honolulu to Albany, New York, which is not easy to do, let me tell you, especially when your wife is five months pregnant. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we moved into my, um, into my mother-in-law's basement in a little town north of Albany called Clifton Park, New York. Familiar with it? Yeah. It's south, just south of Saratoga Racetrack, actually. And I had been communicating with a gentleman by the name of Harry Rosenfeld. Harry Rosenfeld was very famous as the city editor during Watergate at the Washington Post. Wow. And he had hired Bob Woodward, who was a former Navy officer. Wow. And when I was in Honolulu, I wrote to Harry Rosenfeld, who was the executive editor at the Albany Times Union. Harry is still alive and lives in the Albany area. God bless him. And I went to see Harry when I got back to the Albany area. And uh, he said, well, you know, Sally said, I might have a job for you in the Saratoga County Bureau in about three months. Hmm. And I said, Harry, listen, I'm living in my mother-in-law's basement. Hmm. My wife is pregnant. I have no income. I have very little savings coming out of the service. I said to him, I will work for you for the first three months for free. And if you like what you see, you can hire me after those three months. But I got to know by five o'clock this afternoon. He goes, okay, I like the chutzpah. <laughs> so... I went back to my mother-in-law's house, and a few minutes before five, phone rings. My mother-in-law picks it up the phone, says, it's Harry Rosenfeld from the Albany Times Union to talk to him. And I said, hi, Mr. Rosenfeld, how are you? And he said, you start full-paying benefits tomorrow. See you tomorrow. See you in the newsroom at 
bright and early at 8 a.m. How about that? <laughs> so even then you were a tough negotiator. Oh, no. I, I, listen, I, 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 I knew that Harry would, would appreciate the offer, and uh, I had other fish to fry. I had other places to, that were interested in hiring me. But this is where I wanted to be because, uh, you know, my wife uh, grew up in the Albany area and she wanted to have her first baby in Albany. So I started at the Albany Times Union and I covered uh, City Hall. And um, I wound up going to the Philadelphia Inquirer after two years, got hired there and covered uh, South Jersey politics and then became their national political reporter rather quickly and covered the 88 and 92 presidential campaigns for Knight Ritter News Service. Hmm. Fascinating, really. Um, Well, there's a little bit of a parallel. We were both in the service. Um, When I went over to, uh, when I was sent over to Tripoli, Libya, uh, to to, uh, go into Armed Forces Radio and Television, my wife was five months pregnant at the time, um, little did I realize that uh, Gaddafi had other ideas while I was there, um, w- which presented another set of issues. But, you know, we survived it, we got through it, and then politely he told us to leave, so I came back three months early. Um, as you look at what you've done, and you've done a lot with ESPN, Countdown, NFL Live, NFL, the matchup show, I mean, you've done it all, you've covered things. When you get ready to deal with an issue, and I'm going to be specific. And by now you've heard the story about the allegations towards Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets. Uh, if you were covering the Jets and Jamal Adams is already, and, and maybe his mouth spoke before his brain had a chance to digest it. He's already got him hung before there's been an investigation. But if you were, if you were the Jet reporter and you were covering the Jets, uh, number one, you would know that Woody Johnson was this guy, this guy, or this guy. You would have some kind of information how do you go about investigating these allegations, which are many? You know, it's, it's a tough thing to do um, in investigating these kinds of allegations. Uh, I think at this point, you're just looking for the reaction of the team and the reaction of the National Football League. Um, you know, with the uh, him being the U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom, you're not going to be able to speak to him directly. Uh, so it, it would be a tough job. Jamal Adams has already got him hung. I mean, he, I mean, he's uh, he's looking at me, the allegations about racist remarks. So, you know, he's got another agenda. Let's understand that he wants a new contract. He wants out. He wants away from the organization, and he's pulling, he's pushing whatever buttons he has to push. But the fact of the matter is, does the NFL immediately begin an investigation? anybody in the National Football League. Um, you know, 
he still owns the Jets. Um, and I think, of course, the National Football League has to has to clearly ask some questions about it and find out what happened. There's the other issue of uh, reports indicated that the President of the United States asked him to look into getting the U.S., uh, the British Open, or the Open now, as it's called, into his resort in Turnberry. Well, uh, here's a problem. They scheduled that event four years in advance, so it's not like they're looking to do it anytime soon. Um, but the, the White House has denied it. What else is new? The fact of the matter is, is that the guy's right now, he's the ambassador uh, to the United Kingdom. When he comes back, uh, I wonder if the Fritz Pollard organization has looked as heavily into the ridiculously ignorant remark that Deshaun Jackson made where the Eagles basically find him, but the league has done nothing about his remarks as it relates to Hitler. Right. I don't think there has to be any kind of investigation by the Fritz Pollard organization. Uh, Jackson's uh, remarks were posted on social media, and they were rebuked uh, by the Philadelphia Eagles. And, of course, Jackson has apologized, and he's met with Jewish leaders uh, in the Philadelphia area, met with a Holocaust survivor, uh, I believe, on Zoom, and has agreed to uh, to visit Holocaust Museum with Julian Edelman in Washington, D.C., and to work with community leaders and make uh, himself more aware of uh, Jewish history and culture. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it, there's, there's no further need for a quote-unquote investigation. Now, obviously, when I talked to the Eagles, Howard, uh, they were pretty clear with me that uh, he will be judged going forward on further deeds and words on what he says and how he acts in the coming weeks and months uh, towards the Jewish community and in, in, uh, specifically um, towards uh, anything that he might say, uh, whether or not he will face any kind of further uh, action, retribution, or punishment for the Eagles. He has been fined reportedly uh, for what happened. But I think the Eagles are going to pay very close attention. As you know, the owner of the Eagles, Jeffrey Lurie, right. is, uh, is Jewish. And I've known Jeffrey since the day uh, I met him at the 92nd Street Y, the day he bought the team uh, in 1995. And he's a pretty forgiving man. I mean, he is a very thoughtful forgiving man with a great heart and a great soul who's got uh, who's done a lot of great charitable work and he has obviously proven to give players a second chance just ask Michael Vick and Riley Cooper so um, you know I would say Deshaun Jackson's lucky that Jeffrey Lurie is his boss let me ask you this and I'm not asking you to play judge and jury but should the NFL have either fined and or suspended Deshaun Jackson? I'm going to leave that up to the NFL. Understood. Let's move on. Colin Kaepernick. Uh, do you think he'll ever put on a NFL jersey again? Boy, I thought, I thought he would have by now. I, I really did, considering how many backup quarterbacks uh, probably aren't as good as he probably could be. Um, I always thought that he deserved a second chance. Um, I, th I think 
uh, you know, it's clear that he has worked out uh, pretty hard to try to deserve one. And I'm kind of, kind of surprised that he hasn't gotten a second chance. Yeah, as am I. Uh, but again, uh, before I forget, I spoke to a friend of yours earlier today, Matt Mellon. Oh, great man. Matt is, um, is doing well since his heart transplant. Um, he's Amazing. It is amazing, but then again, you know Matt. I saw him last summer. Yes, I saw him last summer, I believe. It, it was at the Raiders' first preseason game. And I just couldn't believe how good he looked. <laughs> yeah, I went into the hospital in Newark before he got his uh, transplant, and he's sitting up in bed and eating his lunch. And I walk in, I see him, and I said, nothing's changed, you're always eating. <laughs> and, he, and he looked, he, he was awaiting a heart transplant at that time. And then finally he got it. And I don't know when it was feasible to talk to him, I did. And he sounded the same. And I'm saying, You're amazing. Uh, how can anybody go through what you went through and you don't look any worse for the wear? Amazing guy, as you well know. But he's, he, he was in his workshop this morning building something. Well, he's everybody associates people with, with, and you've been in the sports business a long time. The current state of the NFL, and everybody's singing the praises, and with good reason, of Patrick Mahomes. Not only does he win a Super Bowl, but he gets a half a billion dollars in a contract. But I, you know what I found amusing about the contract, Sal? The Chiefs said uh, it was cap-friendly, and I went, what? <laughs> a half a billion dollar contract is cap-friendly? Well, spread over a long period yeah. of time. Okay. Uh, I mean, let's face it. Right now, the guy is the number one story in the league, right? Yeah, I believe he's the number one story in American athletics. Can he do it again? That's the yes, operative question. Absolutely can do it again. No, no question about it. Um, you know, I think it's not unfair to compare the Andy Reid-Patrick Mahomes partnership with the Belichick-Brady partnership. Uh, I don't think it's unfair at all. And I think with Tom Brady now pushing his mid-40s and no longer in the AFC, the AFC is now wide open for a young Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have to face Brady. Darn near beat him two years ago in Kansas City. Yep. Um... Uh, Probably should have had back-to-back then. Probably should have had back-to-back then. Um, so I, I do believe that they can win again. They've got speed, speed kills. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, here's the thing, and, and I've, I've talked to Patrick Mahomes, been around him a little bit. I was ESPN's embedded reporter with the Chiefs at the Super Bowl in Aventura, Florida. And... Um, was the only reporter that Andy Reid allowed to stay in the team hotel because of our long relationship that goes back to when he was hired in 1999 by the Eagles. So I really got a chance to be around the team and talk to players and coaches and Patrick. And the, the, most, the most gifted thing about him is you could see him in a military uniform. Hmm. You could see him as a military officer. He has that 
charisma, talent, um, and ability to lead men effortlessly. Outside of Sao Paulo Antonio, how many thousands of people have you come in contact with that are still thrilled about Andy Reid finally winning it all? Well, obviously, I thought, you know, for me, I, I don't root for players and coaches and teams, obviously, because of my position. I'm pretty old school when it comes to that. But you are allowed to root for the best story. And the best story last year was Andy Reid finally winning his first Super Bowl. So from that aspect of it, I was just thrilled to be part of it and watching it and covering it and uncovering it. You know, it's, it, was, it was really one of those, you know, it, I was glad to see it finally after all these years of covering the National Football League. And I didn't think... You know, actually, this is, I'm celebrating my 25th anniversary at ESPN. Congratulations. Yeah, and I, and I, and I never thought I would get to see the Eagles win a Super Bowl. Hmm. And then I never thought I'd see Andy win a Super Bowl, but I got to see both of them, and I got to be part of it and uh, in, in my coverage of, of, of those Super Bowls for ESPN. What's interesting to me, Sal, is there's been a lot of stories during this offseason. Most notably, Tom Brady leaves the Patriots after 20 years and goes to Tampa Bay where he hooks up with Bruce Arians and inherits a couple of very outstanding receivers and a good football team. Um, And then the Patriots, for the first time in 20 years, will have a new guy playing quarterback. And is it going to be Cam Newton on first day of the regular season? We'll see. Uh, But I'm not surprised. If he's healthy, it will be Cam Newton. Okay. If he can play, he will be playing. No. There's no question about that. Uh, I would agree. And, and I'm really excited to see how that works out. And I know Cam very well. There's another guy who, in my view, has got uh, sort of a bad rap among uh, people uh, who observe the league. Uh, I think Cam is tough, uh, a, a tough competitor. I think he's smart. I, like, I think he puts his body on the line. I think he can, I, I, I'm anxious to see whether he can still make the throws that he used to make after all of his shoulder injuries. I'm anxious to see how much he can run after all of his foot problems. And I'm anxious to see the partnership between him and Josh McDaniels. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, you look at that division now, right, Howard? Right. Young quarterback who can run and throw in Miami. Tough wily quarterback who can run and throw in um, in in New England. Josh Allen, he's tough. He can run and he can throw up in Buffalo. And Sam Donald with the Jets, who's got all the promise and potential in the world. Let's go back to the Patriots. I'm going to ask you the $64,000 question. Where's there more pressure on Tom Brady to win in Tampa or Bill Belichick to win without Tom Brady? That, that's, that's a difficult choice. But I'm going to say it's going to be on Brady to win without Belichick. He does. Because Brady has been handed a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has been handed a pretty good team in a pretty tough division. 
a pretty good team with a pretty good defensive coordinator uh, in Todd Bowles and a good quarterback-minded, offensive-minded head coach in Bruce Arians. It's sort of ready-made for him. Whereas if Belichick doesn't win, he gets a little bit of a pass because there's a transition. I don't think Brady has a transition year. He's got to win now. Let me add to that. Uh, Brady's completion percentage last year was the lowest it's been in six years. His touchdown total last year was the lowest it's been in eight years. Uh, I don't know if there's anything reading into that, but in Evans and Godwin, he gets two outstanding wideouts. He's got a bevy of tight ends. I don't know where Gronkowski is physically, so I'm not saying that they can count on him necessarily. But Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions last year, and they lost seven games by one score. Tom Brady's not throwing 30 interceptions in four years. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of pressure on Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see that. And when it comes to Cam Newton and Josh McDaniel, I mean, I feel, and I'd like to hear your feeling on this, I think Josh McDaniel, he may have some design runs in the offense, but do you expect Newton to run as much as he's done in the past? Hey, listen, Howard, we're playing we're playing option football now in the National Football League. Your quarterback, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Tua, take your pick. Your quarterback's got to be able to move. He's got to be able to run. Not only escape pressure, but then make something of it when he is on the run. AFC, Kansas City, Baltimore, the two best teams in the conference. Oh, yeah, they are. They, they definitely are. NFC, New Orleans, and San Francisco, or you got another choice? got to deal with a team in Dallas. They got a new head coach in Mike McCarthy. How much of a difference will Mike McCarthy make in your judgment? Uh, To be determined. I'm not sure. I want to see. He's had a little bit of a layoff. He's got a player who may think of himself as a lame duck, who may have something to prove, or may want to, like, protect himself. So I'm anxious to see how that's going to work. I really am. But, you know, the key to that team is Ezekiel Elliott. Right. You know, if they can block for him and play action off of him, they'll still be pretty good. They got C.D. Lamb now. 
to go uh, alongside Amari Cooper, that's going to open things up for Elliott. They're going to be tough. They're going to be very tough. Will they be as good defensively? Don't know. Uh, well, in the NFC East, it's clearly a two-team battle. Washington doesn't have much, and the, and the Giants, uh, we don't think, will be competitive with the other two. But Philly won the division by a game last year, and it's got to be eating at Jerry Jones' craw that he hasn't been to a Super Bowl since 1995. If anything drives this man, it's, it's winning, and he hasn't won the big one in 25 years. That's a long time. He hasn't been there. Hasn't won in a long time. Uh, I don't know if McCarthy's the answer, but I'm anxious to see. You know, there's so many. There's 11 new head coach quarterback combinations in the National Football League this year. That's a third of the league, Howard. Wow. It's a lot. It is. And so I'm looking for stability uh, at those two spots. Baltimore. Kansas City, Philadelphia, New Orleans, Atlanta, Buffalo, Pittsburgh. I'm anxious to see how Ben Roethlisberger comes back. They still have that stability at those two spots, head coach and quarterback. Going to be interesting to see. His, All right, Howard, you have a wonderful day. We're so glad, John. I'm, I got the chance to join you again. I appreciate Let's do it. this again when training camp's open and I'm starting to get on the road and I give you some insight as to what I see. Well, that's good. I just want one final comment. Keyshawn Johnson starting on ESPN Radio doing talk. <laughs> it's awesome. I love Key. <laughs> he's, he's terrific. Hey, Sal, stay safe, huh? Yeah, good luck to, the, good luck to you guys uh, down there and stay safe. Okay, brother? Thank you. Sal Palantonio, he's a, he's a piece of work. Piece of work. We don't even bother calling him Sal Palantonio. It's Sal Pal. Anybody knows Sal, it's Sal Pal. It is what it is, you know? Uh, love talking to a guy like that. Love talking to Rich Samini, uh, insider about the Jets and the NFL. And Jason Kosminski, nice job by him. He's the play-by-play and executive producer of Denver Nuggets Radio. So we got a day ahead of us where we're going to see the opening of the baseball season. Hello. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you enjoy it. Folks, stay safe. Thank you for being a part of the program. I'm Howard David, and this is Howard David Live. Have a good day. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube